Hey, just want to jump in real quick and let you all know there'll be some light spoilers for Archie vs. the World. So if you haven't read it yet, go out to your local comic book shop and pick yourself up a copy. I'm no Betty or Veronica, not even Jughead. Don't you call me a Reggie, I'd rather be caught dead. Just two friends who don't know who they want to be. Let's see them figure it out on Archie and me. Welcome to Archie and Me, an Archie Comics podcast. I'm Josh. And I'm Brandon. And I can't believe it. Today we're interviewing Aubrey Sitterson, the writer of the new Archie vs. the World one-shot. Aubrey is also the creator, along with Jed Doherty, of the sword and sorcery romantic comedy Savage Hearts, published by Dark Horse. Yeah, and he also wrote No One Left to Fight, The Worst Dudes, The Comic Book Story of Professional Wrestling, and a couple Kickstarter books as well, Beef Bros and Stone Master. A big thank you to Aubrey. He was super generous with his time, and we had a wide-ranging conversation that we think you'll really enjoy. Yeah, so let's just go ahead and get started. Here's our interview. Aubrey, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, man. I'm stoked to be. Um, I've this is my first this is my first appearance on Archie <laughs> and Me, so it's it's historic. I think. Yeah, so speaking of Archie things, uh, we're wondering, you know, what was your first entry into the world of Archie, whether it be comics or a TV show like Sabrina the Teenage Witch? Uh, it was definitely the comics. It was definitely, I mean, like most people probably, I think, the the digests in the grocery store aisle. You know, I, I didn't often have access. I loved comics growing up, but I didn't often have access to a comic book shop just because of where we lived. And it certainly wasn't in walking distance, right? And so it required somebody driving me to the comic shop. And, you know, so I found comics where I could. And that meant newspaper strips, of course, were huge for me, um, as well as whatever... (laughs) whatever i could find at like the grocery store when i was there with my mom and archie stuff was there and so yeah no it it was 100 percent the digest yeah that's the same for me Uh, my dad read him when he was a kid i'm sure people have heard me say that 500 times at this point but yeah my dad got me into him just you know he's like oh we need to pick up a digest at the grocery store (laughs) that's something i always wonder about now you know is how kids get into comics yeah because unless their parents specifically go to comic book stores. I guess a lot of kids are reading graphic novels and mm-hmm. things like that. Manga. Yeah. Yeah. I think the library, you know, like, and I, I was having this conversation. I did a signing for Archie versus the world uh, last night at Arsenal comics and games in Ventura, California, which is a great store. Uh, they, and we're talking about this and yeah, you know, if, to the point I was saying earlier, I read comics wherever I could find them. And that, that's inclusive of the library. But when I was growing up, uh, the only comics I remember ever finding at the library were um, Tintin collections, which is great. And I love that stuff. <laughs> I love that stuff. But fortunately now there's, you know, you go to the, any, at least here in LA, you go to any of the libraries and there's massive sections of comics and, and manga, of course, but also uh, US and European stuff. Uh, it's it's a different world, man. <laughs> totally. <laughs> it's way better. <laughs> Well, how did you get started writing and, and sort of working for Archie Comics? How did that relationship go about developing? Yeah, I the start of it really was I known uh, he used to do all their social media. Ron Kakat, I, I, you know, I always butcher everybody's last name, but <laughs> Ron Kakachi, uh, who used to run the Archie account famously, and is brilliant and writes the um, the little Archie uh comics uh he is a pal of mine and we'd been you know in touch and aware of what the other one was doing and i think when they started building out their best archie comic ever anthology last year ron had suggested me to jamie rotante who's the you know um supreme editor i don't know what her, i forget what her actual title <laughs> is at archie uh he suggested me to her and she was a fan of my previous work and thought that sounded swell. Uh, And so she reached out to me. I suggested that we bring on board Jed Doherty, Doherty. Uh, See, I can't pronounce anybody's last name. (laughs) It's a curse. Uh, It's one of the side effects of just reading everybody's name all the time. Uh, 
we, I suggested that we bring him along because we previously, our previous work was Savage Hearts at Dark Horse Comics. It was our creator owned book. And yeah, man, we were off to the races. And the first thing we collaborated on at Archie was the Jughead, the Bergarian story in Best Archie Comic Ever last year. Yeah, my next question was going to ask how you started working with Jed because I recently read Savage Hearts and the oh, hell yeah. Bergarian. So yeah, yeah, how'd y'all get in touch in the first place? Uh, I'd known Jed tangentially for quite a long time through Howard Chaikin. So I used to be an editor at Marvel Comics, and I had the pleasure and privilege of editing Howard on a bunch of books, and we hit it off, and we kept in touch even after I left Marvel and went on to other jobs. And Howard is one of the really interesting things about the way Howard works. And there aren't many people who work this way anymore is that he works with a studio and he has a group of folks. Um, and it's kind of, it. people come and go and they do, and his process changes and it's, I don't know, he, he should do a book about it. Honestly, <laughs> cause it's, it's something that used to be really common in comics, right? Uh, artists would have a studio and they would farm out the work and they would choose what they like their primary contribution. And they would guide other people. It, manga still operates mm-hmm. like that. Right. And that's how they're able to do it so quickly. And that's also how Howard is able to do work so quickly. And Jed was one of those guys. Jed was one of Howard's assistants and you can see it in Jed's layouts a lot of time, especially on Savage Hearts. Not so much on uh, Archie versus the World, because it's, it's very different than what Howard, what Howard does and how Howard lays out pages specifically. But I think the approach is still visible in terms of viewing the page as the primary storytelling element and building the story around the page and being cognizant of the fact that a comic isn't just a bunch of panels in succession it's consumed by the public as on a page basis and then they go in deeper and i think that that's a foundational aspect of jed's approach that he picked up uh from from all the time he spent with howard as it's something that i've tried to emulate from howard as well um but no howard is definitely the the nexus point for jet jet in my relationship well, yeah, something we talked about, we just did a review uh, episode about the issue, uh, Archie versus the World. And I mean, that's something we commented on. Was I listened that... to it this morning. I had a big <laughs> old smile on my face. <laughs> uh, yeah, thanks for checking it out. Yeah, we, I mean, there's just so much. It's a, There's a world on a page, we said, you know, mm. you, you feel like you're living in this world by how it's laid out. You know, with, with Jughead the Bergarian, um, you, you had about six pages or so to work with. And then with this most recent comic, Archie versus the World, you could got to fill out a whole issue. And then, obviously, your other work is, is longer. You've done more miniseries and graphic novels. I was wondering, how do you approach crafting a story versus whether it's a one-shot or six pages versus something that's longer, like a like a graphic novel or a miniseries? How do you kind of approach those differences in length? That's a great question. Um, you know, I think that there are certain storytelling rhythms that always work, and I, I think that you can find them replicated in my work across projects and, you know, regardless of size or genre. I think, I think the trick is just recognizing that to the longer the story is, you need more complexity in terms of that pacing and rhythm. Right. And it needs to be recursive in a way too. Right. You know, if like, if you, um, this is a it's a bad analogy because it's not actually how songs are written. Uh, but you know, it there is the the pattern. There is like the mm-hmm. the way the sine wave of how a story is supposed to feel and the types of stories that I like to tell. And that needs to extend over the course of the story, no matter how short or long it is, right? Um, and so if you're looking at something like a four or six page story, you get that rhythm once, basically. You know, if you're lucky, maybe you can build some individual beats that way on individual pages, um, but you're limited into how complex that rhythm can get. Um, but when things start to get a little bit longer, you have more freedom to riff on that pattern and that rhythm and um, and have kind of interlocking and embedded instances of that rhythm throughout right and that's like when i craft a longer story that's very much my goal right it's i'm not ever drastically changing kind of my style and the 
pace and rhythm of what I'm doing, um, but I am adjusting it for the length and making it more complex or more simple as is required. Um, that's one, that's one big difference, right? Um, that is, is really just about how to interpret the same kind of tune across different, you know, like, I think this is where the music analogy is, right? It's like, a, it's like a phrase, right? That you then use across the soundtrack of your entire movie to different mm-hmm. effects and different purposes, right? Um, and that's kind of how I look at my oeuvre, right? Um, the other big difference, and this is key, and it's a really big deal for me, and I know it's something y'all have picked up on the Archie, on um, Archie versus the world, as, as you've just, you've already mentioned, which is that when you have, in comic, you know, in in comics, everything is space. Every image, every bit of dialogue, everything, it's space on the page. And that's why what I was talking about earlier in terms of page design and page layout, why that's so crucial is because it you, you have to look at these things holistically and you have to think about how this individual page is going to look. And when you have 20 pages to to do a story like we did, you have a lot more freedom to say, okay, how do we want this page to look? And let's make this a spread. And what do we want the feeling to be of this spread? And let's look at the rhythm of these, um, you know, how, when was the last time we had like kind of like a multi-panel page, right? And like, do we want to have two spreads sidled up next to each other? And what kind of effect does that have? You have the freedom to do that. Whereas in something like Jughead the Bulgarian, um, there were like story beats that had to accomplish, had to get accomplished. So we weren't as able to, because that's the other thing, right? Like in all my work, I like to have this, this depth, right? And it's an illusion of depth because everything in a story is an illusion, obviously, right? It's not real. Um, but I want to create the sense of a lived in, world something that exists and is going to continue moving um when you shut the book right mm-hmm. because to my mind the way comic you know the magic of comics is what happens in between the panels right and m- my goal as a writer is to find the most expedient way to get to facilitate my co-creators process in this case jed's process of allowing you the reader to do the heavy lifting (laughs) that's very complicated Uh, but what it means is it's a stripped down approach right um that alludes to complexity that you the reader then fill out right when you're reading this thing you see a panel of archie holding um uh, Mr. Willoughby with Reggie laughing in the background and your brain goes to work immediately filling out how that happened and what that like what that backstory is and that's the goal and you have a lot more freedom to do that kind of thing with interesting compelling page layouts without having to rely on a grid just for the sake of expediency in a larger work than you do with like a four or six pager so that's why when you look at something like Jughead the Bulgarian it's brilliant work and Jed did amazing um, I just said that my own work is, I meant Jed's work is brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> of course, mine's brilliant. But no, what Jed did is brilliant. And um, and his approach to page design and layout is always on point. But it is much more of a gridded approach than what you see in Archie versus the world because we didn't have that space to kind of luxuriate in that we did with Archie versus the world. Um, I think that, you know, comics are a little unique in this regard in that <laughs> um, you know, f- movies, I think, should be 90 minutes tops. Mm-hmm. I just don't want to <laughs> sit still for any longer than that, right? Like, I, 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 it's it's rare that I think a movie is justified in being longer than that. Uh, comics, however, really benefit from length um, because you are able to, ha- you have more flexibility in terms of how you choose to emphasize moments while keeping an eye towards page design and not just kind of leaning on uh, a repetitive grid and really expecting the readers to do that kind of pacing for you. That's a long, complicated answer all about comics formalism. <laughs> well, I mean, that? I love it. I mean, yeah, I have a, a lot to say about this. One, uh, my good friend Reggie, who I'm sure will check this out, he would totally agree with you about 90-minute movies Every oh, time we watch a movie past 90 minutes, he's he's always time like for an intermission. 90 minutes in. That's time for an intermission, baby. <laughs> he's always like, here's where they could have cut out 10 minutes, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, 
Yeah, I feel like a lot of people try to uh, use exposition or you know give us a lot of narration to try to fill us in. But I mean, that's what one of the things I loved about this issue is that we're in the middle of it. You know, we jump mm -hmm. in in the middle, and I feel like having to, you know, using the art in that way. I feel like I had to slow down to read it. You know, where some comics I feel like I can you know breeze through them, and I'm like, did I really spend time with it? But this comic, I feel like it, it really like asked of me to spend time with it so I could um, really take in everything I was seeing and reading. I don't think you, you know, I, pe people definitely can't see this because they're listening to it, but my heart is soaring right now <laughs> to, hear that you, to hear that you slowed down because this is, I think this is an, um, this is an epidemic amongst comics readers uh, that they read too quickly. They burn through it, yeah. right? They just, they just look at the text and just like the images are there, but like they, they really just read the text and they just read through these things as quickly as possible. And I hate that. And I spend a lot because, you know, it takes a, even a fast artist these days. It'll take them five weeks to draw one of these things. Yeah. And then for you to sit down and burn through five of them in 30 minutes, it's, <laughs> yeah. I don't know, it, it makes me upset, right? Uh, because you're clearly not taking in and appreciating all of the work that went into it, right? Um, and so... I spent a lot of time thinking about ways to slow people down and to incentivize people to really, um, again, it's the same. I use the word again because I think it's a good one. Luxuriate in the page, right? Um, to create something that is not just something that uses comics, right? For for many many years, people viewed comics as you know. Comics has had to justify itself ever since it got eclipsed by film as the mass the mass media uh, like the like the 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 major pop culture mass appeal medium right comics has been on a mission to justify itself and why it should have a place when movies exist right and there have been a lot of answers over the years um the biggest ones you know for the longest was unlimited special effects budget but now with CG, you know, you've seen you've seen Marvel movies, right? They can do all this stuff. Like that's that's no longer a selling point, and it hasn't been for a while. Um, similarly, canon, right? That that became the big selling point. It's like, well, yeah, every once in a while there'll be a Batman movie, but how do you feel about thousands of comics about Batman and his friends? Right? right. <laughs> like like that, like that's really the appeal, and that's not even a thing anymore because film and television have picked up canon and continuity as a selling point as well so you know it's really incumbent upon us as comics creators to utilize the form to the best of its ability and you know what you just described this compulsion to slow down and take things in and to study it and to look at you know look at individual word balloons look at their place within the panel and then also look at the page and then look at the the panel the, the panel again and to take your time with it and see how these things interact and gather meaning from that that's the appropriate way to read a comic book a good comic book at least a comic book that warrants it um and that's the that should be the goal as well i think and you know to your point about leaving these blanks right i i i think that that again speaks in terms of like you know throwing you guys right into it and you know it just goes and it's just this world that's moving that to me is part and parcel with the idea of utilizing the comics form and medium to its full extent. Right. Um, I think it's a Scott McCloud thing where he says that, you know, comics is comics. The magic happens in the gutters. The magic happens between yeah. the panels. And I believe that. And I think that, you know, what's in the panels matters, right? Because what's in the panels impacts what you create in between the panels. And I think that that is a powerful technique because what you create in your head as a reader, even if it's not fully fleshed out and you don't know like all the details and everybody's backstories and stuff, what you, what your brain does to fill in the blanks is more personal and powerful to you than anything I could tell you. Right. Um, and allowing readers to fill in the blanks of the world in my, my comics theory is that that has the same effect right? That makes the world more personal to you because it's something, it's something that your brain figured out. And what's more, you feel congratulated and empowered by having done that and by having been an active participant in the story, right? As opposed to a passive recipient of just content shoved at you. And it's a beautiful thing 
It's a be- here's my my promo for your local library. It's a beautiful thing about reading as opposed to watching things, yeah. right? Um, whether it's comics or prose, like this is this is the beauty of reading, and um, it's what's unsaid and what the reader gathers and infers from that is the real art of storytelling, I think. And it's a treat to be able to use that. So you know, working with Archie has been a delight and a joy. Because not only do, do Jamie and the folks at Archie understand and value the approach that Jed and I were trying to bring to the material, and like, like, because not everybody writes comics like this, right? Like, this is this is a Archie versus I will lie to you, Archie versus the world is a weird comic, right? If you're not, <laughs> if you're not if, right, if you're used to just reading, um, I don't know, like Marvel and DC stuff, and kind of like, you know, like the like the popular um, like genre, like indie stuff, you know, like it, it it can be, it probably will be jarring. It'll be a strange thing to look at um, because everybody does this approach and it's a real credit to Jamie and friends at Archie uh, that they backed us and supported us and backed our play on this. Um, And it's a joy to not only have that support, but to be able to do so while playing in a sandbox with all of these very, very powerful archetypes that are pre-existing. Um, because that means that I have to less, you know, if there's a, if there's a, if, if the book is called Archie and there's a guy in it with red hair, <laughs> there are a host of things that you as a reader are bringing to the table that I do not need to establish. Right. Yeah. Um, and whether all of those things are true in this specific world or not, that is stuff that I can draft off of and I can use in terms of conjuring up the emotions and feelings and thoughts and backstory that I want you as my partner in this experience to do. Well, I think, you know, I think that shows you want a writer to be confident in the story that they're putting out there into the world and also trusting that their readers are, you know, are smart that, you know, they have experience and that, you know, you're not dumbing it down for them. They can follow you along on what the story that you're trying to tell. Yeah. And that's, that's one thing I love about comics is that it's a really collaborative medium, not just between the creative team and the folks on the creative team, but also it's a collaboration between you all and us as the reader Hundred percent, and especially and, when working with stuff like Archie, where there is right. this history, and like, and I'm not talking about canon, although that's a thing too. I'm talking about this cultural understanding of who these characters, yeah, the are. iconography of it, um, exactly which is established. Yeah, I mean, the, the Scott McCloud thing is great. Like that, that's sort of the time between panels and how that can affect how we absorb absorb these stories. And I think that that our listeners who just who just heard you will definitely uh, will definitely see is really obvious, but you and Jed, I think really brought a lot of skill to this issue. And there was definitely, you mentioned the Mr. Weatherby, you know, little picture. I mean, that's, well, didn't make it in our review, but I think there's, Josh and I were talking about that <laughs> panel for quite a bit. And, um, you know, it, there's it, a backstory there, right? And like, well, I was gonna, yeah, exactly. I was going to say like, like it's, it's something where the, just the economy of the storytelling there is such that there was so there was just so much sort of underneath the surface that we could tap for ourselves. And that's not easy to do for a writer, for a creative team. Um, that's difficult. But uh, I want to talk more specifics about the story itself. I know that it's yeah, super sure. inspired by Mad Max. Yeah. Um, was that sort of you and Jed both kind of bringing that to it? Or was that was that more one or the other? So that, that, kind was, of were, that Mad that Max was Jamie's impression? idea. That was oh, Jamie's okay. Idea. Jamie wrote back to me with would you and jed be interested in doing you know an idea we were kicking around was like archie fury road and fury road is one of my favorite movies of course how could it not if you've seen it right how could it not be um it i don't remember how long it is but it feels very (laughs) short which is the important it feels like 90 minutes so there you go yeah yeah yeah. it feels feels like 85 (laughs) uh but (laughs) uh she said you know would you like to do archie fury road and i was like well first of all yes second of all i don't know what that looks uh car chases in comics for um this is i'm putting a hard stop on like formalist comics chit chat that i'm going to subject you all to (laughs) comics uh, i'll just suffice to say comics do not there's a lot of things that comics do well car chases are not one of them right and 
Um, we could do a separate podcast where I <laughs> expound on all the reasons why, but it's just a, it's just a tough proposition, and it's not something I particularly wanted to try. And I said, you know, however, I love the aesthetic of Mad Max, right? Um, and I love that idea, and I love the setting and the aesthetic. How about would you be okay if we pulled in influence from a comic that was very much influenced by Mad Max, mm. um, and that's Fist of the North Star? And to my, um, I was somewhat shocked, um, just cause it seemed like such a strange, like even writing it out, I knew that was like a strange request. Um, <laughs> but she agreed and she said, yeah, that sounds great. Um, and so, you know, if you haven't read or watched any Fist of the North Star, I highly recommend it. It's wonderful. It is foundational action comics and the way that the portrayal of action and page layout and movement of characters across panels um, is phenomenal. And it's unlike, it's radically unlike the U S comics tradition, but outrageously effective. And they were willing to let us pull from that. And it's, you know, and so the funny thing is, and so I saw somebody online making a joke about this uh, um, because I was like, you know, it's Mad Max and Fist of the North Star influence. Um, the thing is, Fist of the North Star is basically just Mad Max, but with Bruce Lee <laughs> in the in the in the lead. Like that's a hundred. Like, and he does the like he does the like he does like all the noises and stuff and like the poses and all. I'm doing the poses for people to um, listen to the audio version. Um, but like he Kenshiro does all that stuff, and so it really is just Mad Max, anyways. But like a martial arts Mad Max, and so um, that's. That's that's very much where we pulled from, but I know Jed spent a lot of time looking at that artwork too, and and I and scripted, you know, there Viz right now is doing these amazing. Oh yeah, I've had my eye on them. <laughs> uh, they're really good. They're really really worth it, man. It's really really wonderful stuff, and the new translations are great, and the printing is great, and they're nice hard covers. And so I've been reading all that stuff, and I was like taking pictures of specific pages and sending them to Jed. Yeah, I've had my own. Those hardcovers are definitely on my wish list right now. <laughs> so, so is They're many really things. Good, <laughs> um, so I noticed, you know, we have some jackalopes here in uh, the post-apocalyptic Riverdale. And I don't know if you can talk about this, but are they a result of what happened? Or are they, are they now Riverdale canon that they've always been around? <laughs> you know, that's a, that's a funny thing. Um, so there are a lot of Easter eggs in both... Um, Jughead the Bulgarian and um, Archer versus the world. And not all of, you know, some of that stuff was in the script. Some of that was, you know, like, oh, it's like a tribe of Ida's chasing down yeah. Jughead, right? Like, 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 I'll take credit for that one. Uh, but, but some of them are not, right? Like, um, like the statues in the, um, in Jughead the Bulgarian, that was all Jed. Um, and they're like, they're like Riverdale residents and stuff. And, um, I was chatting with Jed last night at Arsenal, and I was like, Jed, um, like I leaned over and I said, "Are the jackalopes? Are, are is that like a is that like an Archie reference that I don't know?" Or, or he's like, "No, no, no. I just I just thought it needed some like visual interest to that." That <laughs> <laughs> was like perfect. So uh, to answer your question, uh, yes, answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's whatever you want it to be, man. And I think that that's like, I think that's the jackalopes are like a perfect example of the approach that we're talking about. It's like, look, first and foremost, a comic needs to be visually compelling. And there's a bunch of different ways you can go about doing that, right? And like having, you know, outrageously muscular martial artists do an energy blast at each other. That's my personal favorite to, way to make a comic visually compelling, but it's far from the only one. And I think you know, and Jed, this is an approach that Jed also embodies and adheres to um, and uses as his lodestar, really, um, which is this stuff needs to look rad. It needs to look interesting. And, you know, yeah, there's, you know, the focus is on the jalopy doing the Dukes of Hazard launch mm -hmm. off into open air, right? Um, but there needs to be something in the foreground to provide the sense of depth that creates the illusion of motion, right? And, um, Jed decided that that would be best handled by jackalopes. And I can't say he was wrong, man. I mean, I noticed some, you know, they drew me right in. I'm like, what's going on with these jackalopes? <laughs> um, yeah, man. Jackalopes with the jalopy. Yeah. Something there. I don't know what it is. <laughs> every, yeah, every year um, I'm a music teacher during the day. 
And, uh, you know, my memory of Jack Lopes is that uh, Jack Lopes would show up in America's Funniest Home <laughs> Movies. But also there's this new, like, okay. <laughs> there's this new children's song about Jack Lopes. And we, I always play a game with them of, like, do you think a Jack Lopes real or do you think it's <laughs> pretend? And we take predictions about it. And, um, you know, it's how they've been pervasive in culture for, you know, at least 30 years. <laughs> oh, longer than that, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. It's a, it's a storied American tradition. Uh, well, you can't see because we had to turn the video off for, for bandwidth reasons, but we both have big dopey smiles on our faces. And uh, Good. I'm glad. I, uh, one, one question I want to ask is just, can you come back every month and talk about comics with us? <laughs> <laughs> we don't even have to record it. Just, you know, Man. just talk about Yeah, yes. I'll come back next month and, and, and give my, my lecture. Um, it's more of like a haranguing, really, just about why car, car chases don't work in comics. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, it's, I think it totally works. I, I mentioned on a review episode, um, episode, we were reading a digital copy that we had, but just having the um, car, you know, go from one page to the other, you know, you see the back and then the front, I feel like just added so much to it instead of it being just on one, you know, page. Oh, you mean the spreads? Yes, yes, the spread. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man. No, you know, there are a lot of spreads in the issue. Um, and that is, that was a conscious choice too. I mean, it, in large part because of the stuff I keep coming back to, which is if we're going to write comics, let's write comics. First and foremost, let's write comics. Let's use the medium to its utmost and do things that only it can do. And that means using the page and using the way that we utilize the page. And truthfully, every comic, even if it's not every page of every comic, even if it's not a spread, it should be ideated as a spread for the very simple reason that when you're sitting there and you're reading a comic and you turn the page, even though we in the West read left to right, the very first thing you your you your eyes see just by virtue of the way that opening like turning the page of a book works is the right hand page, right? So like so, the idea of like that being secret to anybody is nonsense. And with that in mind, it behooves an intelligent comics creator to design their pages thinking about that. And that is why, you know, <laughs> there's two reasons why there's a ton of spreads in Archie versus the world. Uh, that's the first one, right? Which is that like, well, of course there are, if you've got room, make things spread in, you've got room and the page concept works horizontally, make it a spread. You should always make it a spread. If, yeah. you know, if that's, if that's what, the story and the image, not even the story, but the imagery that you're going for requires. Um, the other reason is that early on in my comics writing career, I really, I, I drank the Kool-Aid of the digital comics revolution. And I mm -hmm. believed that, you know, in 10 years or so people are going to be People are, you know, like that's where comics are going to live, right? Everybody's going to have their tablet and they're just going to like, they're going to have their collection on there. And like in the future, nobody's going to be reading physical comics. They're going to be reading digital comics and spreads on digital comics just don't work very well because you have to turn the page and take lock screen off and then zoom in because the lettering's too small. It's a nightmare. And I knew that because I read digital comics. And so I, I said, okay, no more spreads. The time for spreads is done. You can do a splash, but you can't do spreads. <laughs> and then, um, I I saw the numbers for digital comic sales for my books at Dark Horse, my creator-owned books. I saw the numbers for digital comic sales, and I realized nobody reads these things digitally. Mm. Nobody does. Like there's like it's like the dirty secret nobody likes to talk about. Um, and when I realized that, I said, "Oh, I got to start writing spreads again." <laughs> I got to do as many spreads as possible. Um, it's a joy to do it. You know, like I. I think that there was like a long hangover from the nineties when there was just so many spreads and a lot yeah. of really popular books that it kind of got a bad rap and it can like anything, it can be done really poorly, but uh, when done well, what a treat, what a treat a unique spread page is. And so with Archie and me, we, or uh, not Archie and me, uh, Archie, I'm looking at the name of your <laughs> Archie. That's what we're doing right now. Archie versus the world. We really tried to, come up with as many cool spread and splash ideas and like again page design ideas as we could and um and use it as kind of a a training ground to try out a bunch of different techniques and um while telling a story of course um but it really was um us testing out testing the waters on different stuff so it's it is 
overwhelming and wonderful to hear that it clicked with y'all that, that, that it worked for folks. Cause I know, cause I'm fully aware that it's different and weird. Yes. Um, you know, just talk a little about digital things for me, it's always been kind of hard to read things digitally. I just, again, I don't feel like I connect to it as much, mm. but I, I think something you said kind of like the formatting is so important because I've checked out some webtoons and because they're specifically made and designed and you know, you're supposed to read it that way. Yep. And I, it works so much better for me than when I try to read something that I imagine was, you know, supposed to be printed or physical copy. Um, I don't connect to those as well, but when it's, yeah, I, I think you totally hit on something there for sure. Thanks man. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you. You know, like there are some really great, uh, like endless scrolling style. Like, I don't know what the proper name for, cause like they're web comics, but it's like a very specific type of web comics, right? Like on Webtoon or tapas or whatever. Um, there's some really great ones that do really great stuff with the form, but yeah, they're not just taking a full size comic right. page and shrinking it down. Like that's a nightmare to look at on your phone. The medium is the message, right? <laughs> yes, sir. Exactly right. Speaking of of how comics have changed and are changing, you know, you you've successfully crowdfunded a couple comics projects for yourself. Mm-hmm. How has have. crowdfunding changed the comics industry, and how do you think it might change in the future? You know, I don't know. That's a tough question, man. Um, it crowdfunding got a huge boost during the pandemic. And that's when I did my crowdfunding stuff as well. I did three, three different campaigns all on Kickstarter, two for beef bros, which is my um, populist community superhero comic. They're bodybuilders and not terribly bright, but they're very nice. And they're, they're sweet boys. Um, and, uh, and the other was stone master, which was like a, um, a Kung Fu comedy um, thing. It's like drunken master, but set at a dispensary in Los Angeles. <laughs> and uh, it's exactly what it sounds like. But, you know, I came to crowdfunding during the pandemic, like a lot of people did, because everything was up in the air. Um, and there were a lot of question marks about, you know, Diamond had shut down and um, Dark Horse, where, I, where I've done almost all my creator-owned stuff, had had done pencils down as a lot of other publishers had. And I think that people were scared and nervous and also bored and had time on their hands. And the other side of that too, is people were getting stimulus payments, right? Um, People were getting stimulus payments. There were, um, there was the enhanced uh, unemployment checks and stuff going out still. So people had disposable income and disposable time, and they didn't have as many options to spend that disposable income as they had before. And, you know, we saw that play out across a bunch of different speculator markets, inclusive of comics. Um, but also I think that that it's, it would be disingenuous not to mention that in any kind of discussion of crowdfunding in the past few years. Um, since then I've kind of kept my, so my last, my last crowdfunding campaign was for beef bros behind bars. And I was very public. I'm very, I'm very, um, transparent on crowdfunding because my point of view is, you know, it's an incredible amount of trust that backers give me by saying, here's money, go make a, like, I'll trust you to not only deliver to me this thing, but get it made because it's not even made yet. Right. Um, and I don't want to violate that. And so I'm always very transparent with what's going on. And, you know, our printer call between when we funded and when the campaign needed, when we were ready to send the files to the printer, our, our projected printer costs, and we're very good about budgeting um, spreadsheets and pivot tables, the whole thing, right? Um, we, we, we budgeted really conservatively and we'd saved a lot of money and like um, we had a big slush fund and everything. Our printing costs went up by 60, 60%, mm-hmm. 60%. So we had to find new printers. We had to find other solutions and like trying not to compromise on quality or anything. Um, it was a nightmare. And I've been a little wary of getting back into crowdfunding since then. I've been watching very closely because since, you know, as always happens, you know, there's a boom and then other people see and, um, there have a lot of other crowdfunding options have cropped up since then and become more popular since then as well. It's not just Kickstarter. And I think we've seen a lot of people saw the types of a success that 
folks were having on Kickstarter, right? Um, and being able to fund things without having to give away any kind of ownership of the IP or having to go through publishers, being able to go directly to consumers. And for me, the opportunity to do the types of stories that wouldn't necessarily fly in a comic book shop. Stone Master, the first issue has a giant cannabis leaf on it. Um, I live in Los Angeles. That's not a big deal here. In a lot of parts of the country, that is a big deal. And comic book shop, comic shoppers wouldn't want that on their shelves. And comic shop, comic book publishers wouldn't want to offer that to mm. comic shop retailers. So it's, it's just, it wasn't really a viable project um, for the direct market. Um, I think a lot of people have seen that and they flock to crowdfunding. And so now there's, there's a lot. And I, um, it, there's a, there are a lot of projects. There are a lot of outlets for the platforms for them. And there is, so there's more competition at the same time as there's less disposable income for people to pay for these things. And also inflation costs and shipping costs and supply chain issues have meant that it's that much harder to raise enough money to cover the cost of these things. So, you know, I think that the boom in crowdfunding the past few years is kind of very specific to the circumstances. I'm not, I wouldn't feel really prepared to draw any larger conclusions about changes in the industry. <laughs> um, I think that it's good. I think it's an, I think crowdfunding is an option and it being legitimized in the way it's been is an unmitigated good that is excellent right because it's another it's yet just like web comics just like archie digests in grocery store aisles just like newspaper comics just like manga european comics any of it any of this stuff being available and more available and having more outlets for comics as a medium is good and excellent because it means more people are exposed to comics and more people you know even though folks do you know, as in all things, they tend to stay in their lanes, right? And just because you like an Archie comic doesn't mean you're going to go all in on like the next Marvel or DC crossover or get really deep in like a 30 volume manga or any of this stuff. <laughs> Comics literacy and awareness of the medium and the fact that now, you know, like um, I'm talking to y'all, I've, I've mentioned that, you know, a big influence on Archie versus the world was um, was manga, right? And I talked about the influence of Howard Chaikin, who is like a very specific U.S. genre comic storyteller. Right now, I'm reading Slain from, uh, like, old collections of Slain from 2000 AD, right, from the 80s, so British comics, which is an entirely different tradition. Like, this is good for all of us, this cross-pollination, and it results in neat things like Archie versus the world, right, is kind of internationalist and holistic approach to comics as a medium as opposed to just specific comics traditions um so yeah i you know obviously crowdfunding has been really good to me um and i really cherish my experiences doing that and the opportunity to get that work out into the world um i don't know i don't know how much has changed comics and i am skeptical that it will furthermore how about that <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, a, a big thing I really appreciate about Archie um, is that they take big swings, that they're willing to try things. And, you know, we have the Archie Mecca book coming out later this year that I'm <laughs> so pumped about. Like, I was like, I would never thought of that. I'm so yeah. pumped about it. Um, and <laughs> thinking of, you know, entry points, I can't tell you how many times I've I've uh, wanted to recommend a manga to Brandon. And he's like, well, how many volumes are there? <laughs> <laughs> and then like 30. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, um, before we let you go, um, we have two quick questions for cool. you to kind of end things off. Uh, I, after reading Savage Hearts, I was wondering, you know, are, thank are you these... for reading that, by the way. I pre <laughs> I I adore that book. Um, I think uh, I don't know. I I just I, I love Jed's art on that book. I was flipping through it last night, so and it, it makes me really happy that you read it. So thank you. Yeah. I I love the art and the story as well, of course. But I mean, I'm a big fantasy person. Like, I love fantasy a lot. And uh, when it was a Savage Hearts and you, I started getting the more, you know, romance elements of it, of it um, started coming forward for me. I was like, oh, I love that. Like, you know, it's just like um, not something you always see uh, mixed together. You don't always get the romance part <laughs> in fantasy books. 
But my question is a little lighter about that is, so these birds and savage hearts that we see, you know, these birds, are they inherently evil? <laughs> you know, what's going on with them? Are oh, they... like what's the backstory of the flappers? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> uh, no. So I, I, I thrilled that you asked this because I, I do have like headcanon <laughs> for the flappers and yes. these people. Um, they, uh, no, no, just like the flappers aren't, I mean, the, uh, the beast people aren't inherently evil. They f- have fought with each other over generations, obviously. There's like a long history of the beast people and the bird people squabbling with each other. Um, but it's Lord Tretch who has bound them to him and, and, and enslaved them. He's enslaved the bird people. And he's the, he's the, pro- like the bird people, and the beast people would probably be squabbling no matter what, but the bird people wouldn't be getting up to like actively evil. Stuff, yes. <laughs> if not for Lord Tredge. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yes. Yes. I can see that for sure. I had to know. I had to know. Thank <laughs> you for telling us. <laughs> I was, I was so happy that we, um, uh, that was like a that was an argument that I won with Jed because I really wanted to have I really like the idea of there being like just multiple types of like tropical bird people just because of like how bright and colorful and like I don't know you saw some of the ones he drew they're really wacky and goofy looking um and I think he just kind of dreaded having to learn how to draw so many <laughs> birds but he did such a good job they're all great they I don't know they look amazing and like different and distinct like they, they clearly look like different types of birds he's great there's nothing i it's one of my favorite things about working with jed is that there's nothing he can't do even if it's not something he's done before we were at um we were at arsenal comics last night doing a signing and he was doing sketches um and like head sketches and you know any any character you want what's your favorite character you know and uh he did like an etrigan I, he did like a sailor moon a usagi ojimbo and um He's doing all these things, and a guy asked him, um, "Oh, could you draw me?" And just like, "Oh, like a like a caricature of you?" And the guy was like, "Yeah." And I was like, "Oh, cool." And like, so like, I finished like talking to somebody. Like, I was listening to him, and I finished talking to somebody, and I went over there to look because I was assuming like, you know, like um, Feller <laughs> and Richmond, like a King's Dominion character, <laughs> yes, right? Yes, right? Like, yeah. so, so you go to a theme park and you get like you know the big head, and you're in a little car and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, like that's what I was expecting, but it wasn't. He was doing it with a sharpie, and it was just like this elegant lovely accurate portrayal of this man standing right there and he just busted it out it is um it's a treat working with jed uh because he, he can do it all man yeah I, I mean there's a great pic you know a panel uh that has this i think it's a parrot uh in savage hearts where it has he has a knife the bird has a knife in the foreground oh, that yeah. it's like you didn't have to add that bird in there like it adds to the panel for sure but i just love it's like a little detail he's very that is funny so much he's, fun. he's very very funny and like his it's it's great so you can see it in the junkhead the bulgarian stuff because like the a lot of the page layouts are pure shaken, right? Especially like he likes to do like the um, the inset panels that are like a close up on somebody's face. That's pure Howard Shaken. Um, but you know, all of like the musculature and the anatomy, it's it looks like Art. It looks like Art Adams, right? But then like the movement and like the like the action and like the way the characters move across the panels, that's Corbin. But then you look at the the humor and like the pacing and like the little gags you see like that, and it's Herge. It's like that Tintin stuff I was mentioning earlier. It is, um, and I, I think this speaks to another reason I like work with Jed so much is that there is this breadth and diversity of influences. Um, because he doesn't just he doesn't just love and feel passionately about one type of comics. He feels passionately about the medium. And so he wants, so he, like I try to, um, he pulls from the best everywhere you can find it, um, which is, I don't know, I think that's the way everybody should be making their art. All right, final question for you. When you're in Riverdale and you walk into Pop Tate's diner, what's your order going to be? Oh, man. Uh, so I'm very L.A., does he have like Impossible or like Beyond Burgers or anything? Sure, he just started this year, I think. Okay, all right. So that's probably so you know, uh, I feel embarrassed about it, uh, but <laughs> about my my dietary choices. Yeah, so I would get I would get whatever the whatever like the the fake vat meat that they have, and then but like real cheese. I want cow cheese. I want a cheeseburger. Mm. Love it. Yeah. I wonder, yeah. I, you know, I wonder what Jughead feels about, you know, those, uh, those, you know, vegetarian burgers and things like that. 
Mm. You don't want to. You don't know. You don't want to know what what they're making burgers out of in Archie versus the World <laughs> continuity. You don't. Even, you don't even want to find out. I mean, I was happy to see that hot dog was still around. To be honest, you know. Uh, me too. Um, I my favorite little thing. Um, my favorite little thing that Jed put into the issue, which I didn't even notice until I was looking at the print issue, just a little Easter egg that he threw it. So like the first page, it's old man Jughead, you know, and um, he's got the big beard. He's all haggard. He's got the big beard. He's narrating and all. Um, but on his crown, one of the pins is a tombstone that says hot dog. Oh, <laughs> miserable. That dog's dead. In that con- oh. There you go. That's where that issue, that's where the issue starts. Some, <laughs> some canonically dead dogs. <laughs> brutal. Absolutely brutal. And so good. But like it's like it's exactly what we were talking about earlier. It's like the creation of this depth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and he got he got me on it. <laughs> Even. I'm glad he was still able to find a pen maker, you know. So he was making pens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't listen, don't 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 scratch too deep, <laughs> sir. <laughs> Yeah, well, th- yeah, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, it's been a pleasure. There... Thanks for having me. Yeah, is there anything um, we should be looking out for coming up that you want people to know about? or And also, where do you want people to find you online? Or oh, if you want to at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, don't look for me. Uh, no, uh, go to veryradcomics.com. That's where you sign up for my newsletter. Um, it only goes out once a month, uh, so it's not going to clog your inbox or anything. Um, it's the primary way. I like to communicate online because as you can tell from this podcast, I like to talk at length. I'm not, I don't do well with character limits. Uh, So, so I like having space to kind of spread out and babble and hold court. And I do that in my email, my email newsletter once a month. I'm on all the social media. I'm easy to find. Just Google Aubrey Sitterson. There's only one of me, Um, but the newsletter, very rad comics is the best place to keep up with what I've got going on. Awesome. Well, Aubrey, this has been super fun. I'm so glad that you were able to come on and talk to us for so long. It's it's, it's great to just have a a conversation where you can just talk and you're not having to do sound bites or uh, or you know get things out quickly or I don't know. I just I just I love having doing, the know, time so to talk. Can, with you. can I tell you a secret? I was doing sound bites the whole time. <laughs> I just slipped I slipped them in there so subtly you didn't realize how many. Of them <laughs> well, it's like we can't even pull out anything because it's all gold. I mean, it's all gold. hell yeah, hell yeah, nothing but sound bites. <laughs> Oh, thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, thanks, guys. Have a great night. You too. Bye-bye. Again, a big thanks to Aubrey Sitterson for his time and talking with us today. If you enjoy this podcast, please leave a rating or review and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow Archie and me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We'll see y'all next time. Bye. I'm no Archie and me.